What's up, everybody, and welcome back to the TWC Stay Hated Podcast. On this episode, uh, I got a chance to have my best friend on, who is my dad. And uh, it's a pretty personal episode. I don't know how many people will be super into it, but you get an insight into what type of person my dad is uh, and our relationship and what he thinks about powerlifting. And he tells some awesome stories um, about when he was umpiring and officiating and it's just really it's really cool to me and i hope you guys enjoy it um we get a chance to reminisce about some old stuff talk about coaching and how it how his coaching affected my coaching and and all that stuff and it was really really fun to do um and he had a blast doing it so uh it was a really fun episode uh as far as housekeeping stuff for um trigger warning we're just keeping on keeping on Ain't shit change over here. I am going to continue to put out the best content I possibly can for you guys and provide the most value I can possibly, possibly do. Uh, I just want to continue helping people feel the positivity and keep learning and growing in whatever possible way that I can um, and just keep on keeping on because that's all we can fucking do right now. You can't control shit. You have to just roll with it sometimes and just keep your fucking chin up so um nice fun podcast here it gets a little emotional at times just because you'll see why i'm an emotional guy my dad is as well and uh so we get into some stuff uh so yeah that's that here is episode 13 lucky 13 motherfuckers uh 13th episode of the twc stay hated podcast enjoy this shit What's up, everybody, and welcome back to the TWC Stay Hated Podcast. Today, we have a special, special guest. He might not be special to any one of you that are listening, but he's very special to me. He's my best friend. Um, Today, we have Al Oliveira, my dad, and we're going to talk about a bunch of shit. How you doing, Dad? I'm doing awesome, Anthony. How are you today? And it's... (laughs) <laughs> this wonderful day that we're all cooped in like caged animals but we're all doing well hell yeah um you are so obviously we spent a shit ton of time together when i was a kid with hockey and stuff so i'm gonna get into a bunch of stuff like that and just like sort of talk about things that we may have gone through or whatever but um how uh how old are you now you're 68 68 yep Six, 68 and like, uh, if you had to describe like uh, your upbringing, like what kind of upbringing did you have? Like, what was it like as a kid, like growing up, you know, in the 60s, 50s, 60s? Like, uh, how was your like, you know, middle class, lower class, whatever? What kind of upbringing did you have? It was almost like that um, storybook one where it's a boy, a girl, a dog and a station wagon. And the station wagon had fake wood siding on it. Yeah. Dad, and dad went to work every day and mom stayed home with us and then we'd go visit Grammy and Grampy. And that's kind of what it was, you know, real simple, nothing extravagant, you know. And, and one of the things that sticks out is whenever we had company, 
Mom put on her Penn and Teller hat, and I don't know where the food came from, but I got to tell you, food came from everywhere for anybody that showed up in that house. It was freaking amazing. <laughs> yeah, that's sort of like a Portuguese thing, right? Like Portuguese family, like feed everybody who steps through the door type of thing. Exactly. Uh, <clears throat> yeah, so pretty standard like American dream type shit. Like grandpa was in – he was a CB, right? Yes, he was. Uh, so he's very proud of it, yeah. Uh, military, um, and then, and it was just basically like middle class America, like just normal upbringing, nothing crazy. Um, hey, can I just throw one thing in here? When you talk about the CBs, we've got a picture at home that to me is absolutely amazing. My dad's brother, Uncle Toby, was at Pearl Harbor December 7th, 1941, the day the Japs decided to pay a visit. Mm-hmm. And he was having breakfast, and he lived. And his other brother, Uncle Tony, was part of the invasion of Normandy. And while Dad was in the Seabees, he spent his time in the Philippines getting shot at and building airstrips. But this picture has the three of them in dress uniform, and the first person you see is Uncle Toby in that Marine uniform that jumps out anywhere. But the amazing part about that is Eisenhower is in that picture. It's, oh no shit. It's an amazing picture. And when dad passed, we had it at the uh the wake, and Uncle Tony came in and said, Where'd you get that? I've never seen it. And I said, well, you had to see it because you're in it. Said, yeah, you remember. were there. <laughs> I don't remember it. Making a long story short, we had a, a big copy made for him and framed it and sent it to him. But that picture gets more comments when we discuss it like you would not believe. Yeah, you gotta uh you gotta take a picture of it and send it to me. I will like take that. a picture of the picture or scan it in or something. I want to see it. Uh, so he did that. And then you obviously were like super involved with uh, like Boy Scouts. You we were an Eagle Scout, correct? That's correct. Actually, an Eagle Scout with four palms, which doesn't happen very often. So how long did you do that for? Probably till I was oh, 16-ish, 15, 16, somewhere around there. One of the things that comes up with Boy Scouts that is a memory I'll never forget. The first night the Ed Sullivan show had the Beatles on, I was at a Boy Scout meeting and missed it. <laughs> <laughs> and you're still sad. You're still pissed about it. Absolutely. Dude, so, still pissed about it. <laughs> so when we, when I, when I was a kid, like just so everyone knows, this is fucking hilarious. So we, uh, my dad's a huge Beatles fan, like fanatic. Right. And so he's got, so we're in this house, this beautiful house, Stratum, New Hampshire, it's just, you know, two car garages, great house, like whatever. And, you know, Victorian living room and got the beautiful wallpaper and shit. And here's, here's my old man with a portrait of the Beatles with fake autographs on it that he bought somewhere and hangs it up on somehow convinced my mom to hang it up on the wall. And I don't know how many people we had convinced that those were real autographs, <laughs> but we definitely, and you had like a fake, didn't you have like a fake gold record or something yeah. too? Yeah. It's like a knockoff. We're like, yeah, that's a real, yep. These are real. These are official. And people, Oh my God. It's like, if those were real, they'd be locked up and hidden somewhere. You know? Wait, well, people would say that too. We had it in that, the TV room, which had a 14 foot ceiling and we had him up high over the archway. So you almost need binoculars to see him and would say, yeah. yeah, we're up there to keep him safe from people coming to visit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And so, yeah, so they can't look at it very close. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, so the, the Beatles thing is like really like, I always thought that was interesting too. Cause you like love the Beatles still do like, and, and I know that that like bled into like my 
music stuff that I liked, but it's really interesting that like, uh, obviously when those dudes came out, your parents, I'm sure like grandma and grandpa were probably like, what the hell is this with their long hair that's touching their ears? And, and you had to be like, you know, however you dealt with that. And then it's like, fast forward, however many years later. And I'm like, this band is called Slipknot and they were, (laughs) and they wear masks on stage and like, whatever. Um, so like, did you catch a lot like for that? Would, did they like bust your balls for that? Did grandma and grandpa like bust your balls about it? Or was it like, were they pretty cool about it? Cause obviously that was like aggressive music for back then and like how they looked and everything. Well, they, they did give me a hard time. I had to, you know, when I played the records had to be in my bedroom with the door closed and the volume had to be such that you couldn't hear it on the other side of the door. So <laughs> but they never stopped me from buying vinyl albums which you kids don't know about anymore well now Um, now they're making a comeback people are buying them again but yeah no i know what you mean (laughs) yeah and then the 45s you know those had to be played the same way but but they never stopped and it wasn't until i finally convinced mom that one of the beatles idols was elvis and she loved elvis so once she realized that they idolized elvis and learned from him it became a moot point you know It, it was just there it was you know yeah you know, but talking about music, I'm thinking about some of the stuff that you and me did with music. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I tell people like the list of bands that it's so funny because it's like the list of bands that we've seen. Like, obviously, um, you're not co- like we didn't go to like underground hardcore shows, but like you came with we've seen Slipknot together. We've seen Rammstein together several times. Like, you know, Eminem. Eminem, when he was touring on the White Album with two. 20 foot middle fingers on the side of the stage and he was not invited back to the venue uh yeah we got it that's like just like some of my fondest memories too because that was always really cool to me that it was like uh a lot of kids might have not enjoyed that going to a show with like their dad but now looking back on it i may have felt a certain sort of way of it as a kid but like now looking back and i'm like yo that is pretty sweet that like I saw, you know, got to see Rammstein two or three times with you live. That's like incredible, you know. They they, they are amazing. I mean, I'll never forget the first time we saw them. You know, it was at up at, at a place in Guilford, and it was an all day thing. And and Stain performed, and then the the, oh, yeah, the, yeah. the DJs came out in between and said, "Yes, we know the headline band just finished, but we have one more band for you to see." And throughout the day, between sets, there was always heavy music playing. Well, between Stained and Ramstein, it was soft, elevated music with just like that fake fog falling all over the stage. And then they come out the typical way they come out and they start doing the song Mother, which obviously is all in German. But you and I both knew it and we knew that it was going to explode about 30 seconds in. And when it did, the pyrotechs on that stage just ignited like a fireworks show. I'll never yeah, forget that. Was, that they was had awesome. like. <laughs> They had like big, uh, there was like one of the guitar players like standing on like a, like a fake like water with like fake like arm floating in it. And there was like the dude had like big flames coming off the end of the guitar. And I remember like the stage show just being incredible. And then we see, we see them inside too. And it's like the same sort of deal. Uh, that stuff looking back on that now is like, I would love to go to those shows now as an adult, you know what? Well, what if you want to call me an adult, um, well, you I passed the age test. <laughs> yeah, I, 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 yeah, yeah. So, well, something I something I wanted to get into 
I put up a thing on Instagram that said, you know, like for people, if anybody had anything that we wanted to talk about. And one of the things that, uh, you know, like growing up, you know, you've been with mom forever. You know, you guys met when you were 15, 16. Um, Somebody asked is actually DB um, from night crew was asking like how (laughs) he said, I want to know how he landed mama Oliveira. (laughs) (laughs) So, so like, what's the story? Like, like, uh, cause you guys were 15 and 16 when you met. Yep. Um, and you've been married for how many years? It'll be 48 this year. Whew. Um, so awesome. So, uh, how did you guys meet? Obviously you're in high school and stuff, but like, just kind of give us like a, you know, a rundown of like, like how you like back then. Cause dating now, like meeting someone now is so different. Like, what was it like then? to what was the year and all that stuff and how did it come about? Well, it's, it's, it's kind of funny story. Back then schools had bomb scares and we had to do drills for bomb scares because that's when there was the CD, uh, civil defense, not the disc civil defense organizations. And everybody had to build shelters in their basements to protect when the bombs came and stuff. So at school we'd do bomb scares and this one beautiful sunny afternoon, we had a bomb scare and, Behind the school was a hill. It kind of went up, you know, almost to the height of the roof of the school. It was a one-level school, so it's not really that high. And at the top of that hill, there's a bunch of us athletes sitting there. We're just kind of watching people walk around. And then I see Paula, mom, come walking by. Got this green dress on with little purple polka dots and her hair kind of picked up. And I said to one of the guys, Jackie, I said, you know what? That's my girl right there. And he said, there is no fucking way. I said, you want to know what? There is. You watch. And man, the rest is history. Here we are. <laughs> <laughs> There's quite a time lapse between the two. Yeah. Um, that's really awesome. Yeah, it's like a really rare thing. And I, I like, you know, I know uh peop you know, marriages lasting that long are uh not super like standard now. You know, they may have used to been, but um it's really kind of cool. Like it's more than kind of cool. It's fucking sweet to watch, you know, and be around for all this. Cause I remember, man, it's, I can like really remember it, but I remember like the 25th anniversary party that you had, you know, where I had like, we wore like tuxedos and shit down in, I forget where it was. Is it St. Madeline's church down in Tiverton? Yeah. I was like, you know, I was in like seventh grade. I was like 14 or something, you know, it's, and, and it's crazy. Um, I was actually looking at those pictures not too long ago, man. You had your buzz cut and everything. Yeah, I was like, there's <laughs> Abby. Abby took a picture of me at that. That I lo- it looks fake. I'm like coming over like a railing. Yep, and exactly. throwing like the the like little handgun like like, and uh, yeah, hey, man, this, I just go ahead. I was gonna say there's a story about that jumping over the railing. You, it you was might, a. You might not remember it. I don't remember. Maybe like, a, is it like an Ace Ventura thing? Was I like fucking nope. around with something? Nope. This is a true life story. Uncle Toby, who we talked about earlier, the Marine. Yep. Uh, he lives in Michigan or lived. He's passed now, but he lived in Michigan. And they were invited to the wedding. And the doctor told him that if you go to that wedding, the travel is going to kill you. You can't go. And so we accepted that, that he wasn't coming. And as we're walking out of the church after the wedding, guess who's standing 
down at the bottom of the stairs behind the church. His uncle Toby and Aunt Faye. I let go of mom's hands, grabbed the handrail, jumped over that handrail that there's the picture of you down to see uncle Toby who came from Michigan. Oh, that's awesome. And at the time, you know, you remembered that because we told a story and that's, I would bet my life on the fact that that's why you did that to copy what I had done 25 years earlier. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. I, like I, it was so long ago, man. I don't even, I didn't even remember the original story. I remember the evening being there and stuff. And that's something that I've always like, uh, like looked up to you and mom about one of the, one of the questions that people gave us was like, you know, like something that we like learned from each other. And for me, like one of the things that I, like one of the many things that I've learned from you and mom was like just that relationship, like watching that and how, and, and being around that and being, you know, lucky enough to have two parents that have been together for this long and still like each other and still like, have a good time together and stuff is something that I've really learned and like always uh, sort of uh, wanted to emulate in my life. You know what I mean? At some point, even as like a little kid, like being like, man, I hope I have that one day. You know what I'm saying? Like, I hope I have that relationship with someone. And I think, uh, I mean, I know that that's, that's where I'm at now. I'm, I'm really happy with Val and everything. And it's like one of those things where I'm like, man, I I'm, I'm going to have that. You know what I mean? Like, and so it's really sick to like, think back to that that's 25 year anniversary dude that's crazy that's like a crazy long marriage right there and that was 15 20, like 20, how, 20 years, years 20 years ago you know what i mean like and uh that's really awesome like to have been fortunate enough to to grow up around that you know and what you i mean you know what i see rewarding about that talking to you is i don't know how many times you've noticed me post something about you and val and oh yeah that I see the love between you two guys growing every day, every time we have fortunate enough to spend time with you. You know, now that you're out there a thousand miles away, we don't do it as often as we'd like, but whenever we're together, just to see that between you two, and I think, you know what? That's a foundation to copy what mom and I have. You yeah, that feels on the right track. That feels really good to to hear and to be a part of and stuff. I feel very uh fortunate. Um to, to have you guys, uh, you know, as someone to look up to with all that stuff. So, uh, so thank you for being rad. Um, <laughs> so, uh, I switching gears a little bit. Uh, so, um, you obviously, you said you were an athlete. Did you play, you played basketball in college? Baseball. Or baseball, baseball in college, but you played basketball and baseball in high school. That's correct. So you played baseball in college and then you started this is all going to come full circle i promise so then okay. you started yeah <laughs> so you started uh you know um umpiring mm-hmm. uh now how old were you when you started doing that well first before i hit umpiring i played slow pitch softball for a couple of years and said you know what maybe i want to try to officiate so i'm going to guess it was Late in the college years, maybe 19, 20, 21, right around there. Started yeah, and how, how long did you do that for? I did that until I had my lung infection in 1996. Holy shit. Yeah, that was a fucking nightmare. I remember that. Oh, yeah. There's that a little like- side story with that, too, that if we, <laughs> we get to that. Um, <laughs> you know. what, a, what a crazy – that was like a crazy uh, – I like block it out. Uh, you know, I don't – 
I forget about it. You know what I mean? So while we're there, so we don't have to go back and then we'll get back to the, the officiating. I had this nasty lung infection, was in intensive care, not responding to anybody. And, and I don't remember this. Mom told me this story. She doesn't even like to talk about it. But Katie and Abby refused to go into the room because of all the tubes and everything and me being basically unresponsive. And mom said, you come walking in. Now, this is 96, so you're 10 years old. You come walking in, you grab my hand, and you says, hey, dad, you want to come home so we can go play baseball in the backyard? And I opened my eyes for the first time in days, and it was unbelievable, mom said. And just to hear her tell a story, which she doesn't like to remember or think about, just, you know, back to what you and I did, and you didn't even know what you were doing at 10 years old. Yeah. is a memory, of, you know, is there, it's etched in my mind, it'll never go away. Even though I don't remember it, I just remember being told about it. Yeah, that was a, that was a really crazy time where like community, our like community of people, you like don't realize how many people give a fuck about your family until like something like that happens. And then all of a sudden there's like people showing up with groceries and taking care of mom and like all sorts of crazy shit. But um, that was looking out the window and seeing somebody cut your lawn for you. Yeah, man, like that was insane. Um, But anyway, yeah, that's we could do like three podcasts on those couple months. Uh, But yeah, so like going back to um, officiating. So you started doing that around when you're 21. How long did you do it for? You did so. How many years was that? Until whatever you know, 94. 30, 94, I don't know, thirty-five years. Yeah, give it so, thirty. And you you did uh, lots of lots of softball. I know you did Special Olympics, which was really cool. We got a chance to go to that at least one of the years. Um, and then you know, didn't you did a very high level like women's fast pitch? Correct. Yes. Yeah. One one of the funny stories about doing that was a. Uh, Women's major fast pitch. And just for perspective, if a baseball pitcher throws 95 to 100, there's a certain amount of reaction time for the batter to react. For the women's major fast pitch, they throw in the mid-60s, but they only throw from 44 feet. And the reaction time is less than a baseball batter who has to react at 60 feet, six inches. Because and they can move around it. They can make the ball move more because it's underhand and all that. They can make it do weird stuff, and right? And it's bigger. And, and yeah. the, the, my first plate game in this big tournament, which was the third game of the tournament that I worked, pitcher from Nebraska is out there, and she's probably about 6'5", light view uniform. And on the left chest is a round circle. Mutual of Omaha was a, was a, a sponsor. She'd bring the ball up over her shoulder and kind of hide in that logo. But during the warm-ups, you know, she's kind of throwing, I'm going to guess, mid-40s, maybe breaking 50. So in my mind, I'm getting set for a pitcher that's going to throw a lot of movement on the ball. So I'm getting ready to watch and make sure I catch the movement as it's going over the plate type stuff. Mm-hmm. The first pitch comes in, and I heard it hit the glove. Never saw it. <laughs> the catcher was so cool. She stood up, didn't turn around, so nobody knew she was talking to me. She looked at the ball a little, flipped it back to the pitcher and said, hey, Blue, where was that pitch? And I don't know where this came from, but I said it sounded low. And she, <laughs> she kind of chuckled and said, you're going to watch the rest of the game, right? I said, absolutely. Now that I know what to look for. And then went on to have a, a good game and it was great. But yeah, I'll the, never forget that. <laughs> some, of those, some of those like softball stories are like so crazy 
because I've heard like I haven't heard you tell them in a long time, but I remember as a kid, I'd be like, here we go with the softball <laughs> stories, dude. Here we go. We're like at a barbecue or something. And, and I'm like, oh, my God. And now I'm like, man, I hope you wrote some of those down because they were hilarious. There's like, I don't know, like <clears throat> I feel like watching you umpire and like hearing those, you know, uh, those interactions like kind of taught me how to how to deal with like conflict in sports and like and how to treat an official and how to get respect from one and how to give respect to one and and how to as as an official because I you know we reffed hockey together for so long like how to uh how to command that respect without being a dickhead and you know from the, the players right is, is yeah. to, to get it without being the dickhead Go out there, act professional, treat the coaches with respect. Always talk to them before the game. Make sure you talk to both sides, both coaches. And just show, you know, you're and look, look the part. Go out there with the shiny shoes, the press shirt. If we're doing hockey, yes. polished helmet. Yes, I remember the so I remember the like, you know, your uh your bag for for umpiring. And I remember like the separate bag with like the shoe polish because the shoes had to be so shiny that everyone needed sunglasses to look at. There was always like some, some wild that they had to be like super, super um, clean. And I, I remember you saying that, like, you know, like dress the part. And, and when we started officiating together, doing hockey, it was like the same sort of thing where it's like, you better look good. Cause if you look like a bum, they're going to treat you like a bum. Exactly. And, and I firmly believe that the official that looks good, if he makes an honest mistake, <clears throat> excuse me, will be accepted more than the one that goes out there with the dirty shoes and the wrinkled shirt. Yeah. It's the same mistake in the same game. They're going to eat him alive. I agree. Uh, yeah. You did. You, you remember, did. Go ahead. You remember your first hockey, first hockey games you refereed with me? <sighs> Man, I remember there being some shit show situations with hockey kid like we're throwing coaches out and and everything else and uh i don't remember the first one there is a story that i wanted you to tell because i couldn't remember the details of it it was something we were we were at the rinks um probably the one i'm thinking of <laughs> yeah where i like i tossed a dude and i don't yep. remember i don't remember what happened and okay. I just remember he was kind of, he was like, we knew him kind of from like other stuff. He was kind of a dick. And I don't remember what, I just remember throwing him out. And I don't really remember why or what happened. This, this is, that's one, this is one of my favorite stories about you and I officiating together is before we go into this game, I said, Anthony, this guy is going to be like that piece of sand in both of your skates. You know, it's there, but it's not big enough to do anything about. Plus, <laughs> we're working with, we're working with little kids. We don't want to throw the coach out. Okay. We just want to tolerate as much as we can. And so it's the end of the game. It's a one goal game. And you call a penalty on, on this team. And he is blah, 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 really giving it to you. And I'm on the other side of the ice where I'm supposed to be. You're handling it. And he's really giving it to you. So I skate over and he's giving it to you. And I just looked at him and I said, Arnie. Put the kid in the box and let's finish the game. How old was I here? Probably 15? 15. Yeah. And then he starts on me. I said, Arnie, put the player in. And he continues. So I give him a bench minor. So now he's two men short. And he is all over me like white on rice. He forgot about me. He's pissed. Yeah, he's pissed. He's ripping. (laughs) So 
The face-off, as luck would have, is right in front of his bench. Now, by rule and, and procedure, that's your drop, okay? But I said, no, excuse me, it's my drop. It's my drop. I'm sorry. It's my drop. But I said, Anthony, you drop this puck. I want to get away from him to calm him down so we don't have to throw him. So I go across the ice. You get in position. You blow the whistle. Get ready to drop the puck. You blow the whistle a second time. Turn to the bench, and I, I, I get the division in front of me so calmly with one hand by your side. You take the other hand with your four fingers, not an intimidating one, point to him and point to the, be- the door of the rink. <laughs> and I go, he threw the guy out. So I go flying across the ice, and he's going, are you throwing me out of the game? And you were so freaking calm. You said, Coach, I can't throw you out again. I can only do it once. <laughs> now please leave. <laughs> what a like what a little punk kid I was to fifteen, like so talking he, shit. <laughs> he goes, and after the game, we're in the locker room. I said, Anthony, I thought we agreed we weren't going to throw him out. And you go, Dad, listen, I'm getting ready to drop the puck, and I hear from the bench, Hey ref, I feel sorry for you. You're gonna work with that old fat guy and he sucks. <laughs> and said, Dad, I couldn't let that go. <laughs> and I took it personally. I took it personally. I was like, it ain't going to fucking happen, buddy. <laughs> uh, yeah, I remember the <laughs> I, one of my one of my favorite stories and something I, I learned from something I learned from you is uh, with the with the officiate thing. It was the same sort of thing. We used to get up. We we coached. We uh, refed a couple of young kid games, like house league stuff at like five or six in the morning on Saturdays. It was like, you know, you go and I think we did like two or three games or whatever. I was 18, 19 at the time. Punk kid getting in trouble, whatever. But I still, we still did that on Saturday mornings and I had gone to friend's house, ended up having some drinks, ended up getting sick, whatever. I wake up in the morning and I'd slept on the couch and, and I was just like, and you obviously like you guys weren't cool with me partying i was 19 so you were pissed i came home late and everything else but we get up early in the morning to go and you're like all right we got to go and i'm like all hung over and you look to me and you're like is that what you're wearing to the rink and i was like yeah and you're like are you sure and i was like yeah and you said like look to your right i look to my right there's like puke on my hoodie i'm just like a total mess and you're like change your sweatshirt and like let's go and it was like what i learned there is like you know if you want to play and have a good time that's fine but you still have to like finished with your responsibilities mm-hmm. and uh i just dude those were those mornings were funny because it's like we didn't have to do that for the money like it's like the money is nothing but it was like something that we kind of enjoyed and mm-hmm. and like uh i think it got me closer to the game so like with, with with officiating and then you know during that time i was coaching as well with, with officiating when did you start moving towards coaching because something that I've really stuff that I really learned from you is coaching and how to be a good coach and how to the same thing, how to gain that respect from people and command that respect from people um, without being a dick. So what, what, when did you start saying like, Oh man, like I really want to start coaching people. Um, I want to, you know, start moving in that direction. Well, it's a difficult question to answer because there are a lot of moving parts to it. But the Reader's Digest version, which I think will hit the highlights, 
Well, everybody coaches their kids' teams like when they're coming up. Like it's like soccer and you know baseball and whatever. But like you took it to a whole other thing, like with the women's hockey and all that stuff. So like, what put you there in that position? What made you want to do that? Well, it goes back to with you guys. You know, with all the officiating I did before you guys, and meaning you, Abby, and Katie, I saw what coaches did, and there were some coaches that were awesome, and some I wouldn't let a coach a dead end. I mean, the right. full spectrum. Yep. And I respected those guys that were great coaches and learned a lot from them. And if we have time, there's a great baseball umpiring story from back in 1974 that, that we'll talk about. But um, I learned a lot from those. And as you were coming up, you know, as you said, parents coach kids and you get involved there and you see some of the other parents where they're there, but they have no concept of coaching, no concept of respect, no knowledge of the game. They're just there because that's what they do. Their kids playing soccer, they coach soccer. Their kids playing baseball, they coach baseball. Right. And then when I started to see how that type of coach had a negative impact on the game and a negative impact on the kids playing for him, I started really thinking, saying, you know what? It's time. It's time to start, you know, moving more in the coaching and do more teaching. And every coach coaches different. Uh, as you know, I'm not a yeller. I've yelled twice in my whole coaching career and it's scary and when it happens it's it's one of those things that's like oh i am in trouble like <laughs> I, I screwed yeah. the pooch Any, anyway so yeah you got your your coaching style you're more of a quiet guy so yeah and so and that's what it was i wanted to make sure that the kids had a real positive experience whether i was coaching a c-level team that I couldn't have more than three players with any skill. The rest were all learned to play or coaching an, an A-level team that you played on where everybody was skilled. It's just who was more skilled than the other ones and trying to keep it all together, but being fair. The biggest thing was to be fair. And one of the things I, I will never forget that I used to do with you. And it always stuck in my mind when I'm talking to other kids. And, and for those of you out there listening, I'm still coaching now at 68 years old. I coach a high school tier one hockey team right now and get out there on the ice with these kids. So it's not something that's in the past. It's still current. But what I would do with you is I'd put my finger in your cage and I'd pull it close to me. And I'd say, Anthony, you got to do something for me. First of all, you got to have fun. you got to do your best. But I want you to remember, no matter what happens in this game, I still love you. And then you would go off and do your thing. Yeah. You can tell that you can tell the difference between kids who had that relationship and kids who didn't. Mm -hmm. Uh, Cause I still, I've talked about that on other podcasts before that particular thing. I still remember that. And it, it makes it, it's like, okay, so now the only anxiety I have to deal with is like just performance stuff, but it's not like, I'm not going to let my dad down if I let a fucking goal in. Like, it's like, (laughs) you know what I mean? You know what? I did that right through your college days if I could get to you. Oh, yeah. Before you went on the ice. And I remember you telling me the guys would give you shit because I talked to you before the game. And you said, fuck you. That's my dad. Yeah, I got in the face of a a couple of kids in in college just because they busted my balls. Because in the the lobby, I like gave you and mom a hug. And they're like, ooh. And I'm like, hey, asshole. Like, if it wasn't for them – 
I wouldn't be playing hockey right now. Like we didn't, I can't afford this shit. Like, are you crazy? Like, yeah, I'm super grateful that they're here. Like are you, I'm fortunate as a motherfucker that both of my parents are here. You guys are nuts. And and I think that like, dude, like watching you coach, obviously like you coached, you never coached any of my like real teams. Was, I mean, real teams, but they were like, it was off season stuff. It was yeah, like yeah, uh, it was summer it, league. Yeah. yeah. It, it wasn't like you weren't going to, like you're not coaching my fucking junior team or whatever. It's like, it was more like tournament teams and stuff we put together and everything. And, uh, Oh man, we got to tell the Marlboro story. Holy shit. We went to play. We were, I was, uh, yeah, I was like, <laughs> dude, how old was I? I was like maybe 16, 16, 17, right in that group. Yeah. And, and we went to Marlboro mass. It's like this huge tournament is like, it was, it was like, we'd always try and fight. Cause we could always put together these like teams where it was like, we just picked everyone who was like really good at playing hockey. <laughs> we just like put together these tournament teams and go play these, like, you know, these teams that probably play together all year. And I remember we went, we went there huge tournament, like hundreds of teams. And there's like, I think there's like seven or eight rinks in that building. And they had these refs from the Quebec major junior league refing. And they were like letting people like fight during the game. And we were, it was like, kind of, we were like, wait a second, we're bantams. Like we've never, we all wear full face masks and, and like whatever. So, it got crazy. There was like, I don't remember the circumstance. All I know is that you got, you got thrown out of the game as yep. a coach. Yep. And I was in, and we, it was opposite ends. So mom, my hundred pound soaking wet mother is on the bench. We've because got, I get thrown off. And Cause you I, got thrown out. Yeah. We got nobody else. So we put her on the bench. I'm in the game there. We have like one, we have the backup goalie or the other goalie and maybe two kids on the bench. Cause we were so short players. So many people are getting thrown out, whatever. But let me Dude, tell come- why I get thrown out. Yeah, what is- <laughs> yeah. There was a situation on the on the ice there, and one of the two kids on the bench made a comment to the official, and he was coming over to throw him out. And I'm thinking real quick, if he gets thrown out, that's one sub. We're screwed. And I said, hey, I'm the one that said that, not him. Said, you said <laughs> it. You're gone. <laughs> You're gone. Yeah. So, so mom's on a bench. So, and then somebody, uh, there was an offsides call. And our player, it was Matt Fertney. I'll never forget it. He's dude, whistle blows. He takes two steps and takes the shot anyway. And I'm like, oh shit, here we go. And so chaos ensues. He gets ensues. He gets pushed onto the bench. Like mom's there. Jay Punsky's trying to like pull mom, keep mom safe. And then and then I see the other goalie kind of point at me. And I'm like, oh, it's like that. Okay. So I guess we're gonna fight now. And so I took my helmet. I took my helmet off, my gloves off, and left them on t- on top of the net. I was like, "This is my chance. Like, I get to do the thing. The only thing that I like, the only thing that's cooler than this as a goalie is scoring a goal. You know what I mean? Like, it's like, <laughs> and and I remember he comes up to the center, and he's st- he was a little shorter than me. He still had his helmet on, and I've got hair down to my shoulders. And he looks at me. He says, "Like, what are you, some kind of girl?" Or he made fun of my hair or something. And I just grabbed the chin of his helmet, flipped it off, boom. And then it just chaos ensues. Jeff's got his shirt ripped off. He like we all got dragged off the ice. That was crazy, man. Like that so, not not our proudest moment, I guess, but it was just like mom's on the bench. And then uh yeah, that was just like 
Yeah, there's, never, there's more to that than you remember, though. There's like, oh, well, Barry Melrose was there. Exactly. And he said something. I don't even remember all that. Well, I know that he was there. Everything's going on on the ice. And I'm up in the stands now because I've been booted. And there's a guy in, on top of one of our guys in front of the bench. And mom's hanging over the bench trying to pull this guy off either. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. and, and that ain't happening. No, the, no, yeah. The two officials from the next game come on the ice. Now there's four officials trying to break everybody up. And I'm up on the top and Barry Melrose, whose kid was the same age group as you and playing in the same tournament. He says, that's my style of hockey coach. It's like my fate, that, that right there. I remember you telling me, so, and I'm like, man, I, that feels good. You know, it sounds like that is cool. Um, yeah, the hockey hey. stories and all that could go on and on forever. It's just like, we spent so many times, so much time in the, in the car. Yeah. You were uh, driving to Montreal. Remember that trip? Yeah. You've got a, what were you? You got a kidney stone, passed a kidney stone in a, in a, like a rest stop. <laughs> I, I'm coming off a concussion. I had missed a full week of school from a concussion. This was like before they knew like how bad concussions were. I missed a full week of school. We're going up to Montreal to play in a tournament. And the whole time I can't drive. I'm like 14 years old. And you're the whole time. You're like, Oh my God. And I'm like, I have no idea what a kidney stone is to me. It doesn't, I don't know. And I just remember stopping somewhere for you to take a piss and you like hobbling in. And then walking out like you were 15 pounds lighter, just like, and I'm like, yeah. something changed. You're like, oh, I passed a kidney stone in a gas station. I was like, this guy is a maniac. Uh, yeah. But that, I, up, I, I drank gallons of water trying to do it. So I yeah. eat the thing out, drinking and drinking. Maniac. So, hey, uh, what are the coaching stories with you? You're 15. Oh, yeah. You're 15. And you're, you're learning. You're learning. And, and I'm trying to, to teach you the things. And I said, you know, Anthony, you have responsibility of the forwards. And whatever you do, it's your call. Okay? And then I forgot who the other assistant was. He's at the other end of the bench doing a defense. And we're leading three to two against a team that typically beats us eight, nine, ten, nothing, one, whatever. They blow us away. They ask for a timeout. And I look at you and I said, get your three forwards ready. Look at whoever's at the other and get your two defensemen ready. We talk about what we're going to do. And there's maybe a minute or so left in the game. And I see the three forwards going out. I'm going, what the hell is he thinking? Did he hit his head or something? Because one of the kids you put out on the skill chart was near the bottom of the lower third of the players. But you put her on the ice. And on the way home, and we went, ended up winning the game. On the way home, I said, hey, dude. Why did you put Julia on the ice? And very calmly, you said, you have been trying to teach me that it's not always the best players on paper. It's the ones that perform and earn the spot at the time. I thought she played a great game and she earned that last shift of the game. And yeah. Perfect. Yeah. that's. Uh, I think that that's something that – and it's like one of those things that you taught me. And as a coach, I've tried to like – uh, with what I'm doing now, because, you know, with powerlifting and stuff, stuff's always evolving and changing. We're learning new shit and, and everything else. It's like admitting when you are wrong, like living and dying by your choices, right? So like with that choice, if she had gone out there and totally blew it, well, I had to live with that decision, but it was the decision that I thought was right at the time. And if it was wrong, then I would have just adjusted my scope for the next time, which is something you've taught me where it's like, 
uh, and I've said this before a lot of times, or something you've taught me is just like uh, being able to be honest with your mistakes as a coach so that people trust you. Mm-hmm. And you're not just like a bullshit artist. Um, where it's like we've changed now. Hey, we used to run this particular system and now we run this system. And the reason that we do is because I learned this, this, and this. And I've made mistakes and now we're changing them. And I think that like a lot of people miss that because they're too ego driven. Um, but I think that that's something that you have uh, really like instilled in me and made it and made me a better coach. So um, and I, th- I think that makes students better too. My student, yeah. student of the game, whether it's one of your power lifters or one of my hockey players or whatever, you know, going back about three years again, you know, High school hockey, we're having a terrible game, and we're making mistakes all over the place. End of the first period, we're in the locker room. And I said, ladies, do you realize how many mistakes we've made today? But I'm going to ask a question. How many of you know if you made a mistake today and are willing to admit it? And the first hand that went up was mine. (laughs) I made a mistake today, and I'll tell you what it was. We're about four minutes into the game. I called for a line change. It was a poor call. We had a 3 I know against us because of my poor call, and Megan saved us. She made the save. So I made that mistake. And who else made one? And then all of a sudden, you start seeing hands go up in the room and people talking about things that they did wrong and how they're going to fix them. Yeah. And it turned that season turned into a great season because nobody was afraid to try something and make a mistake trying it. Yeah. The thing yeah. is, if you tried it and you made a mistake, then we'll fix it. Yes. I'm not going to bite yes. your head off. Let's just fix it. Um. Yes, I really like that. That's really huge. Uh. So I have a a really I have two really cool questions that people asked, and I think both of them are going to be long winded, but that's okay. Uh. So someone asked how you felt about me moving out to Ohio to quote, chase my powerlifting dreams and where you are at with it. Uh, you know, so could you like speak on that? Cause it's like, I'd never really, I mean, we talked about it. You were sick, you know, you had cancer at the time. And I remember you basically saying like that. I have to, like, I have to go. Like I have to do it if, you know, but like, how did, what, how was that for you? It's that's, you know, I could talk for hours on this, but just to make it short, when I started my professional career, I had to move away from home. Not as far as you, we moved 312 miles away from home. We moved to Binghamton, New York to start my career. And it was tough. And I know how much I miss mom and dad. And I know how much they missed me because they came out to visit us almost every weekend. And we used to take vacations with them after we moved away. You know, every year it was a vacation with mom and dad somewhere. But they accepted that I had to move away to do that. And for you to do it, it was very tough for me. And I'm going to be honest with you. For the first couple of weeks, I cried four or five times a week. <laughs> you were gone and I missed you. you yeah. Know? Even though I didn't see you every day when you were here, just knowing that you were a 14 hour car ride away. You know, I missed you. Yeah. But then I said, you know what? He has a dream. And knowing Anthony, he will get that dream. He will hit that goal. And I think back to you as a youngster when 
Oh, you'll you'll never play hockey, and you did. You'll be lucky to make the C team. You make the A team. What are you trying out for the Spartans for? That's for good kids. You go up there and you you're the starting goalie up there. Ah, oh, you'll never play in high school. You you know you still hold a record, or actually you're tied with the record for most wins in your high school. <laughs> Juniors, that's a dream. You did it. College, don't even think about it. You did it. So you you had a goal and you did whatever you needed to do to get there. And I feel lucky in the sense that I was there to say, hey, dude, you know what? Do your best. <clears throat> if you're successful, awesome. I'm right here to support you. If you fail, that's okay, too, because I'm here to catch you. And I want, yeah. <clears throat> I want you to be successful. And, you know, we go to these meets now, and, and am I nervous when you're there? Yeah. Um, you know, just from the injury factor, because I know that if there's an injury, it's catastrophic. But on the other side, if you don't do well, I know you've done your best. And I go back to when you were seven years old, and I put my finger in the cage of your helmet. Have fun, do your best, and don't worry about what happens. I still love you. And I still feel that same way now. You know, you went out there to follow your dream. You're accomplishing it. Never in my wildest dreams did I ever think you would squat north of 1,100 pounds. (laughs) You know, I remember going to your first meet in Newmarket when you were still doing raw stuff. You know, and oh, there he is, you know, a couple hundred pounds. Wow. Five, 525, bare knees. I I deadlifted 600. I deadlifted 600 at that meet, and I thought I was just the hottest shit on the planet, dude. I thought I was sick. But one of the things that you said, you know, going back to this whole thing when you were going away and after you got there, everything that happened here in New Hampshire and and New England, you know, northern New England and southern as well, you won. And it was, you know, I'm going to show up. I'm going to win. I'm going to do it. You got out there, and I never forget one of our conversations shortly after you got there. You said, hey, Dad, remember that pyramid I was standing on back in New Hampshire? I said, yeah. He says, out here, I can't even see the bottom of it. That's how good yeah. you guys are. But you know what? You're up near the top of that pyramid now. Okay, you're there. You, you fulfilled your dreams. You followed Try, your dreams. Trying my best to be anyway, yeah. you know? I, I, I support you. I miss you. But I know you're doing what you want to do, what you love to do. And I'm there for you 100%. Yeah, I, I've I've felt really um, – it shows people's true colors when they start. Because, you know, there's been a couple people that have moved out here since that I've become real friendly with and, and everything. And and, it, and something I always tell people before they make the, the, the plunge is like, hey, dude, like this shit is going to show you a lot of people's true colors mm-hmm. when you do this. when Because people – when you go for something that you really want and it's a far reach and – it's going to affect them by removing you from their life in some aspect. People get really shitty if they don't actually believe in you or, or, or are too worried about how it affects them. But I was like really lucky in the fact that like basically everyone in my family and like my tight circle was super stoked on it. Like even if they were bummed that I was moving, they were really like, they were hyped that I was like getting an opportunity to do this. I mean, like, man, I didn't know. I thought I might come out here and live here for three months and then come back. Who fucking knew? Like at that point, it's like, I I don't know. Like it, it was a, I was really like putting all of my eggs in one basket. Um, 
I actually was going to make a post about this uh, to people where it's like, dude, like you can be that person. Cause I've had people say that where it's like, man, I couldn't do that. And it's like, no, you can. Like I, I literally was making like $270 a week before I moved out here. Like I moved out here with $800. Like I, I lived on a couch. Like you can do whatever you really want to. Um, but I think that having a support system, like you and mom and, and, and the girls and everything like really made it an easier transition even though it was like harder to leave, if that makes sense. Yep. You know what yeah, I'm saying? Exactly. <clears throat> um, the family aspect of it, like really made a big difference for me. Um, so <laughs> this one's heavy and I think that it'll hit home for a lot of people uh, or people that may have friends that are in this situation. So like, you don't have to get super specific. Uh, I would prefer you maybe not just depending, but uh so somebody asked your perspective of me when I wasn't sober versus now. So I think what they're getting, I mean, I don't really know. I don't know what they're asking. You can take it for what it is. It's kind of a heavy fucking question because <laughs> we have a really good relationship. And like, even through that stuff, we, uh, for the most, like, I mean, we had like our things, but like, I don't know. Like, what do you, like, what does that question mean to you? Because to me, that's like super broad. So, like, uh, where does that take you? Well, it goes it goes deep. It goes really deep. And and those were were tough times. They were dark times. You know. Um, the one thing I can tell you is that through all of that, I never stopped loving you. Well, of course I, that. I, I yeah, always, but I always I always believe that that whatever you were going through, you could get through it. Now, a lot of that stuff is, as we both know, I didn't know about, just knew something was going on, but, but I didn't yeah. know what it was. Um, and it was tough. It was tough when you were sleeping in the car. It was tough when you're going from couch to couch, you know, going through that. But I look at it now and the way you came out of that, the way you came out of that still just freaking blows my mind. In a couple of months, it'll be 10 years. 10 years. Yes, sir. And I am so proud of that. And, and I'm not ashamed to tell anybody that, that you had an issue and something in your mind said, I've got to end this. I've got to end it now. And you did it. And the strength that you have, there are two parallel situations. One, when you dropped a plate on your foot and broke your foot. And one, when you had surgery on your knee. And in both situations, you were offered narcotic pain relief. And in both situations, you said, no, I can't take it. And that showed me the strength that you have. You had then, you still have now that, yes, I am going to suffer, but I'm not going back in that hole. I'm out of that hole. I'll take Tylenol. I'll take ice. I'll do whatever I need to do. But <laughs> yeah. I am not going back in that hole. And that makes me so proud that you... You stood up to your beliefs and said, I'm not doing it. I'm good without it. I'm, this is it. I'm here. I'm going to do it. I'm going to stay here. And you, you never took any more of that stuff again. And, you know, if, if anybody asks me, I'm so proud of what you did. And many kids fall, many kids, many people fall into that hole and can't get out. Or they pot way out and they fall back in. They pot way out and they fall back in. And, and I think one of the things that I think helped you 
is the OCD. And I say that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, you're right. You make you're a right. decision. I'm getting out of this. And there's nothing going to stop me. And then that OCD clicks in and says, hey, this person over here said he's going to get out of this hole. I got to help him do it. So the OCD helps you get out of it in your own will. And you, <laughs> yeah. and you did it. Yeah, it's very interesting to uh, – you said that you're like not ashamed of it. It's funny because I was talking to a homie um, yesterday actually and he was saying like how uh, you know you can tell if someone's like cool or not or if they're worth your time. When you tell them that you're recovered or you're recovering or however you want to word it, how they look at you and how they treat you after that. And if it changes in a negative way, then fuck that person because they don't, they don't, you know what I mean? Like if they judge you for having an issue with substance, like before and you're in recovery now, then like you don't really need that person in your life. So it's, it's cool to hear like, yeah, man, like uh, I'm not ashamed to tell people that and all that, like, cause that's something that I've really, uh, you know, held on to, to, to kind of like, I don't know, like to, to, to scan people to see if they're worth my time. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Like I'll tell yeah. them that and then, and then see how they see how they react. So um, yeah. one of the things that you said during that, that process and, and I've never forgotten it and I've mentioned to a few people and they kind of rub their heads and say, wow, that makes so much sense. Why don't we do it more often? Is that when people are in recovery, whether it's, a sex addiction, whether it's alcohol, whether it's drugs, whatever it is, and they go to talk to somebody, first of all, you got to admit that you have a problem to go. But if you really deep in that hole and you're having trouble out, getting out, and the person you, you're speaking to hasn't been in that hole, then it's tougher for you, the person, to get out of that hole because they've never lived it. Yeah. And so you can talk to somebody and say, hey, I've been there. This is what I did. I want to help you get out of that hole. Yeah, a lot of times it's just it's just like having no and like knowing that um someone else was able to do it. It's like when it's like as soon as someone broke like the six minute mile and then someone broke the five minute mile and someone broke the four minute mile. It's like people start where they see something, they know it's possible. Mm-hmm. You know what yep. I'm saying? Um exactly. I think that ha- that's happened a lot with like with lifting and stuff too. It's like with everything with sports, cause it's so accessible now mm-hmm. um, that as soon as you see someone do something, you're like, Oh, I can fucking do that. Like I can do that. You know what I mean? Um, but the difference about a lot of people in you is that when you set your mind to do something, you go balls to the wall to get it done. Yeah. For better or worse, really. <laughs> <There's> <laughs> definitely, you know what I'm saying? Like, I wasn't gonna I, say that, but yeah, <laughs> like for better or worse, it's like, yeah, it's like can it's, has been reckless before, but it's definitely something that I do. Um, so, all right, so that's so everybody, that's enough of the super serious talk. Okay, we'll move okay. on. All right, we had our right. mushy gushy time. Okay, we had hey, our mushy gushy time. One thing I want to ask you: Do you remember the silver one? Oh yeah, dude. So we used to go fishing. So like, <clears throat> we used to. The story won't be as funny to anyone else, but it's like some of my best memories are are fishing because we're we suck at it <laughs> that's true <laughs> so so like some of my best memories uh 
are are definitely like either standing under the bridge in Portsmouth or going out on the boat and, and fishing and stuff. Unlike the old like piece of shit boat you had the four winds like yeah <laughs> like you know like or renting boats or whatever it was um i think that a lot of that stuff dude like uh i'm very grateful for it now where i used to get like irritated about it when i was a kid it's weird how stuff changes when you get older yep <laughs> you know what i'm saying it's like you appreciate stuff a little more like man like uh i really would appreciate like two hours of quiet time with a fishing line in the water with my friend yeah. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> and back then you might not, it's like, you know, you don't know you're in the good old days until you're out of the good old days. Right. Which is something that, you know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. Um, but yo, I wanted to ask you, so like uh, you obviously, so it's kind of switching gears a little bit, but like you, obviously you worked for a pharmaceutical company forever. Like you had like a, like a real career um, and all that stuff. Uh, and then, you know, you've obviously been married forever and you have three kids and now grandkids and um, have coached a bunch of stuff. And what are like, what's like the big, what were like some of the big milestones for you, you know, uh, like in, in, in your life, you know, you've been around, like you've been on this planet for almost 70 years. Like what are like three things that you accomplished that you're proud of? Like, what are like the three things that you're like, fuck yeah, I did that. No one could take that away from me. I'm super proud of like these things. Okay. Well, I'm going to put one of them, several of them into one bucket. Okay. And that's going to be family. And that starts with sitting on that hill for that bomb scare saying, see that girl <laughs> with, okay. the polka dots. with the polka with the polka dots, dots. Polka yeah. dots. see that girl. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Through all the years to now, to still be in love with her and have her have three beautiful kids who have their family and all of us are healthy. Yeah. We all have little hiccups here and there. Mom with EMS. I had the cancer battle. You had the narcotic battle. I mean, you know, those are just little molehills in the big scheme of things. Sure. Put that in there. That's one bucket. The family is first, no matter what. So there's lots of things in that bucket, but if you just think of family and how happy and lucky we are, you know, you had a chance to spend time with my parents, you know, and you got to know them, you know, unfortunately, mom's parents were passed before you were born, before any of you kids were born. So you never got to know them. Well, you well, just you, grandpa. Yeah. 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 So, so that, but the family, one of the other biggest things that every time I think about, I can tell you exactly where I was, what I was doing. And, and it, it always gets a little emotional. We're in Chicago. Mom and I went out there for a Blackhawk convention, which we do like every other year for the three days. And we're taking a walk in the park <clears throat> across from the hotel. It was the end of the day. Convention activities were done. And we're looking at the lake and my phone rings and there's somebody on the other end of the phone. So I want to talk to you for a little bit. And Somebody on the phone says, hey, I'm going to ask you a question. I said, what's that? He said, will you be the best man for me in my wedding? <laughs> I was like, where is he going with this? Who is he talking about? <laughs> yeah, that was tight. That was, you know, and, and, yeah. and he said, you are my best friend, and I want you to be my best man. And I'll tell you, Anthony, when I think about that. I got I you. You got me. I remember just stopping walking. We sat down on a flight of cement stairs, a little overbridge near the near the lake, 
and just sat there and we chatted. And I will never forget that. That's like, wow, he wants me, <laughs> he wants me to be his best man. And, you know, the other one, the other one, it can go in a variety of places, but I think one of the most rewarding things that I've done goes back to officiating. It was 1995, and I got a call and said, we want you to be one of the U.S. officials to come to the Special Olympic World Games. Now, I didn't realize the impact that that would have on me, but it was amazing. Um, in the softball venue, there were 72 countries that participated. And to see these, and I, I'm going to say the word kids. I mean, some of them were, were my age now, back then. And yeah. down to little and old. Just to see the love that they had for life, the love that they had of the game, and just the amazing things that they did. And one game, I, I, this one, of the whole nine days that we were there, this one game is in my mind. I'm working for his base, and I can't remember what countries they were, but there's a kid in the dugout. And he's got half an arm and he's kind of limps and the game is going now in these games throughout the week, teams would cheer for each other. It wasn't like I got to win and you're going to lose. Everybody was a winner. It didn't matter. You know, and games were timed at 90 minutes, whether we played two innings or the full seven, it was 90 minutes. We just get out there and play. So anyway, this game is going on. I'm working for his base and this kid's in the dugout. In the fifth inning, he comes out to pitch. Now, some of you may remember, not remember Jim Abbott, who pitched for the Yankees, had one arm. He tucked the glove under his arm, throw the pitch, grab the glove, and be ready to field. And that's what this this little boy was doing. I'm going to say he's probably 12, 13 years old, maybe a little older, maybe 14 or 15. And then one of the batters hits a line drive at him, and I instantly go, oh, my God, he's going to get hurt. He didn't have time to get the glove out. He knocked it down with his bare hand. And the ball's four or five feet from him. And he tries to get to it, and he fell. And he crawls over to the ball and takes it and just kind of bats it towards first base. Okay, now I'm working first, and the ball is kind of trickling over. The runner goes by. <clears throat> first baseman picks the ball up. And I don't know what made me do it. I went out. Kid, <laughs> kid was clearly safe. I just went yeah, out. Yeah, yeah. And the coach, who was the coach for the team that I just blew the call against, looked at me and said, nice call. Yeah, the, yeah. the game finishes, and we're talking afterwards. And the coach for the other team came over and said, thank you for that call over there. And I'm confused. You know, I'm, Ordinarily, I'd be eaten alive on a call like that. They said, we're not here for the out and the save, the win and the loss. We're here for the effort and the fun of the kids. And you recognize the effort of, and he said the kid's name, and I'm sorry, I don't remember it. You recognized his effort and rewarded him by calling the runner out at first. And nobody cared that the runner was safer out, but he got recognized. And I think if you want to put the three things there, that that's going to be there as the third one. That's you awesome, man. To see you know, the joy of what happened, that whole, that whole nine-day event. But that one particular event just sticks in my mind and will never go away. It was, that's awesome. I they just, can't take it away from you too either. That's like one of those things. It's like that's an experience that, uh, you know, not many people will get to have. So it's like really cool to have that 
uh, as a memory. So, mm-hmm. um, well, we've gone past an hour. That's fine. This is officially going to be the longest podcast I've had thus far. Um, usually I start. Fun. Huh? Probably the most fun. Yeah. Well, yeah, it's the easiest. I've, I know my guest very well. So, uh, so something I do at the end of the podcast, like a lot of people say that the internet is very negative. Uh, and, and I think that, that there definitely can be negativity, but something I say at the end of every show is just like, if you're only seeing negativity on the internet, you need to adjust your scope because you're following the wrong shit. Cause I don't see negative stuff all the time. I see a lot of positive stuff. Cause that's what I surround myself with or try to so i do a thing called coolest thing you've seen on the internet this week uh and it's something that you know i i I usually go first just to give you time to think about it for a second and um and just share something it doesn't have to be a new thing it could be something that you just happen to see but there's a lot of bullshit going on right now so i think anything positive would be great so uh for me there's a so there's this instagram called steak videos and it's literally exactly what it's like it's just videos of people cooking steaks in different ways <laughs> and like different types of steaks and different butchering and dude i just get lost on the page i've been following it for a while but it fell out of my algorithm and recently it came back into my algorithm and i've been seeing it and i'm like this is tight like that like what like just like watch it like i'll be it'll be you know late at night i'm laying in bed and i'm like Val said she gets annoyed because she'll just hears like constant sizzling from my phone. It's very like aesthetically pleasing, you know, to be like to watch like a steak come together. So uh, and like obviously being at at home with you and mom, like you guys cooked a lot. Like we we cooked more than we went out as a kid. You know, it was always like house like home meals and stuff. And so like I've been I've always been drawn to that. But watching that those videos, it's just like. I'll send it. You'll appreciate of all people. You'd fucking love it. Like you'll love it, but it's just literally, it's just called steak videos. And I'm like, you can't go wrong with this Instagram. (laughs) No one's mad about this. This is the best Instagram. So, uh, what's the positive thing that you've seen on the internet that you want to share with people? I just want to do three short, quick ones. There'll be less. Oh my goodness. All right. First, the steak one. When you said steak, you know, I'm a big mash fan. There's an episode where Hawkeye gets temporarily blinded. And it's raining. And he says, have you ever listened to the rain when you can't see? It sounds like steak sizzling on a grill. (laughs) And ever since he said that, I've paid attention to it. And he's right. (laughs) Dude, what a weird, what what an odd reference for a show. Half the people are going to be like, what the hell is MASH? I'm like, (laughs) I grew up watching it. You need to watch it. It's good. Yeah. Put it on the put it on the list with NYPD Blue. Anyway. Exactly. I watched an episode of that today, by the way. <laughs> yeah, of course. Yeah. I'm shocked. Okay. Uh, now, go ahead. This, this other one's a short one. It's, it's relative to what's going on now. And it says, I need to make a decision about where I'm going to have Easter dinner. The living room or the dining room? Yeah. We're all faced with it. <laughs> but the We're all faced that- with it. You know, when you first started talking, the one that came to mind is being a hockey guy like I am. I saw it with one player, and I've seen it with a variety of players now, is to keep their skills up, you'll see them in the backyard with a stick. And one of them is Alex Tuck from the Vegas Knights. He has a piece of toilet paper, and he's just bouncing it up in the air on a stick, turning the stick over, bouncing it up and down. And there's another one where he's got a golf ball on the end of his hockey stick. And this one's more amazing because he does that. He does a spin, catches it, and just continues to work on his hands 
wildest time of everything going inside. He's just out there doing it. I think it's great. It's nice to relax, sit there, watch it. How the hell does he do that? Dude, the, the I, level I of <laughs> yeah, the level of uh, the level of athleticism and preciseness that like all major sports have gone to, but like obviously being hockey people, like drawn to that, like the stick handling and shooting ability of these guys is just so next level. Like watching videos like that, where you get to see like how skilled they are, yeah, um, and and that the Patrick Kane one where he's dribbling with, between all the pucks on the ice. Yeah, he shoots a shoots a water bottle off the top of the net and then shoots another puck and hits the water bottle in the air. At yeah, that, that it's just like crazy, man. Yeah, like, that's John Taze. That, that you watch that and you say, "Did that really happen?" How the hell they do it? Yeah, you gotta watch it a half a dozen more times to say, "Yeah, it really did." Um, <laughs> that, that skill is amazing. Uh, all right, great. Well, hey, I really appreciate you coming on. Hey, I, I appreciate you. It. This was fun. You know, just, <laughs> chat. just like a it's a normal. <laughs> phone call that we have it much might be like 15 minutes longer than normal because they're usually run pretty well uh uh all right so i'm not going to give out my dad's social media because none of you guys get to follow him because i say so um and uh so but for me it's uh anthony cw13 um and the trigger warning instagram is trigger underscore uh conjugate i know trigger underscore warning underscore conjugate um and please like the page share this podcast subscribe to the podcast leave a rating um i'm learning how all this stuff works with like the algorithms and everything else so if you rate the podcast and leave a comment a positive comment it really helps like more people see it so that would be sick so um dad thanks for coming on again dude i really appreciate you anytime dude you know we love you and i can't wait to see you hell yeah yeah we're gonna some some plans have changed, but we'll get back there when this yeah. all settles down. You know, if this stuff stays crazy the way it is, we've got the North Conway house. Just chill up there. Exactly. Yeah. We'll hide out. Uh, cool. Well, hey, thanks, everybody, for tuning back into the TWC Stay Hated podcast. Keep your eyes open for new content. And as always, you heard it. Stay hated, motherfuckers. <laughs>